This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. morning it's thursday september the 14th 2023 welcome to now with dave brown coming to you on ami tv i'm dave brown let's hit the horns and go coming up on the show today the disability matters voters group is encouraging Manitobans with disabilities to watch how political parties are responding to their concerns. Accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore will fill you in. Vaccine equity continues to be a concern across the globe. Don Dickinson will explore the issue in her preview of Voices of the Walrus. And Apple unveiled the iPhone 15 Pro and iPhone 15 Pro Max. But is it really worth the upgrade? Mark Flalo will give you his opinion on the day that Access Tech Live debuts on AMI-tv. Nice continuity of live programming today on AMI-tv. But now with Dave Brown begins with the top story of the day. And it's all about housing and affordability. Canada's Mortgage and Housing Corporation says that the country needs to build nearly 3.5 million extra homes before 2030 to bring affordability to the market. Brenda Molina-Navidad crunches those numbers. Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation estimates 3.45 million houses are needed beyond current construction trends, compared with 3.52 million in its outlook from June of last year. It says Ontario still makes up the bulk of the shortfall with a 1.48 million gap, but that's down from the 1.85 million projected last year. While the supply picture has improved somewhat in Ontario, it has worsened in other provinces like Quebec, Alberta and B.C. Brenda Molina Navidad, The Canadian Press. Okay, it's a bit buried in there because so many numbers got tossed at you. But let's do a little bit of math because that a little bit below 3.5 million number does represent some progress. Things have accelerated by about 700,000 houses over the course of the last year. It's still a big number, though. So let's do a little bit of math together on that story. Grab your calculators. 3.5 million, as you think about it, in terms of housing units, just a number. Let's say there are a little over 2,200 days between now and January 1st, 2030. A little over 2,200 days between now and then. I'm going to round down to 2,200 for the sake of simplicity. Divide 3.5 million by 2,200. What do you get? 1,590.9. Let's round that up to 1,591. In other words, to hit the goal of 3.5 million homes between now and January 1st of 2030, 1,591 homes need to be completed every day between now and then. Not started, not worked on, finished. 
1,591 homes need to be completed every day between now and then. This is why now with Dave Brown is the sole arbiter of the truth when it comes to these issues of affordability and housing, because I do the math in tangible terms, and please don't look at my grade 11 math grades. Let's switch over to the provincial side of the housing story. Alberta is spending an extra $16 million to repair aging government-owned affordable housing units to make them inhabitable. Social Services Minister Jason Nixon says they're working to prioritize which units gets fixed first, along with an estimate on how many units will be brought back into service. We're working very closely already with our partners to get that figured out. The department has told me, though, that uh, this will bring on something in the neighborhood of hundreds of new uh, spaces for people to be able to uh, utilize in our province. Minister Nixon says over the next eight years, the province aims to invest $9 billion to build 25,000 new affordable homes. Sorry, here comes the math again. Keep those calculators and abacuses nearby. $9 billion divided by 25,000. What do you get? $360,000 per affordable housing unit. Not sure why I wanted to do that math for you too. I just felt like figuring out the number and then offered it up to you. Staying in the world of affordability and economic strain, Equifax Canada says credit card balances hit an all-time high in the second quarter of 2023. Lori Paris crunches those numbers. Equifax Canada says total Canadian consumer debt reached $2.4 trillion during the second quarter. Average non-mortgage debt per credit active consumer edged up to $21,131. It says non-mortgage debt growth was largely due to substantial growth in credit card balances and a notable increase in debt among subprime and deep subprime consumers. The agency says many Canadians are slowing down their credit card spending, but lower income households are having a harder time curbing spending and fewer consumers were able to pay their monthly credit card balance in full during the second quarter. Lori Paris, The Canadian Press. Okay, I think you've had enough of math and affordability. Let's switch to the tourism gone badly file. More than 200 luxury cruise passengers remain stranded in the world's northernmost national park. The vessel ran aground Monday in the northeast Greenland National Park. Reporter Stephanie Ramos has the latest. It was a trip of a lifetime, a 22-day expedition through the Arctic Circle, costing upwards of $20,000 per person. The Ocean Explorer, departing from Norway September 1st, traveling through fjords when it became stuck in sand and mud on Monday. Inspections show the hull is intact. No injuries reported. Hey, you want to see glaciers? Sometimes you're going to get stuck amongst the glaciers. Denmark's Joint Arctic Command said the nearest Danish, Danish Navy ship was more than 2,000 kilometers away. And one more story, a little closer to home, maybe less nightmare fuely than being trapped on a boat in the middle of the Arctic. It's day five of a cyber attack impacting resort operators at Las Vegas properties. Brian Clark has the latest. As the FBI works with MGM to investigate the cyber attack, guests like Walter Haywood described the scene in his Las Vegas hotel. Nothing was working. The machine wouldn't take the tickets, and it was just chaos. MGM says it now has established workarounds, but has also waived change fees for guests with reservations through September 17th. Would Haywood return to an MGM property? It depends on what they offer us. <laughs> the governor and state gaming commission are also in contact with MGM about the situation. 
Brian Clark, ABC News. You know, I wouldn't mind going down to Las Vegas to bet on some football this weekend, except uh, if I can't get into my room, that kind of defeats the purpose. Let's go from the news to the daily polls at Accessible Media is where you vote on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you vote on Facebook. Yesterday, you were asked, what is your preference when it comes to cold medication? Zero percent of you said syrup, so nobody votes for the zazurup. 57% of you said pills, 0% of you said spray, and 43% of you are tough as nails and said, I used nothing, nothing at all. On Twitter, Bruce Beclarian tweets in, by the way, Bruce Beclarian wearing the senior producer hat today on Now with Dave Brown. Big ups, big shouts to Bruce. Bruce says pills, 100%, no strange flavors, and they definitely do the trick. Today's Daily Poll all about charging your devices. Apple is moving to USB-C chargers for its new equipment and devices. How would you describe your setup at home when it comes to charging your devices? Is it efficient? Is it cluttered? Or is it chaotic? Amanda Shikarchi, in my life, everything is a little bit cluttered, which oftentimes leads to chaos. So I'm torn between those two options, but I'm leaning towards chaos. What say you? I think I'm probably cluttered. Like there was a period of time where I lost a charger because I had to charge many devices and couldn't keep track of where the charger was and months later finally found it. But for the most part, they're all like on this charging board and I try to like organize them based on like, okay, like phone, computer, iPad chargers, all kind of in the same row so that I know where to plug it in. Um, but then I have like a few extra things like to plug in my braille display and stuff. But for the most part, yes, there are days where you see chargers like hang dangling to the floor. But for the most part, it's pretty 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 organized i would say <laughs> megan gilmore you're filling in for alex Smythe today amanda used an expression there charging board which sounds like something i could probably use in my life because i've got wires and plugs and outlets running in about 77 different directions of 77 different varieties from different outlets all over the house it can turn into a game of chaos fairly quickly i'm also a hoarder so i don't throw out old charging wires even though i never use them that's my own personal demons to battle but how would you describe your charging setup at home okay right now i just have this image in my head of you in like a condo with a bunch of like cords everywhere like a spider and a spider web trying to delicately like <laughs> jump from whatever that's, that's about right that's actually about accurate Okay. Um, mine is probably a little cluttered leading to some chaos, but the chaos isn't actually to do with the chargers. So um, I think the only things I really charge are my phone, my computer, and then my eSight glasses, but the eSight glasses have their own charger. So that's just at a different spot. Like they're, they're somewhere else. Um, and then when I'm on the show, my, my ring light has to also be plugged in and it plugs into the phone charger. I got a charger that can charge the phone and be doing the ring light at the same time. You're welcome, Bruce, and everyone else on the tech team. <laughs> um, but where the chaos comes in is I have an old iPhone. I have an iPhone 6S, everybody. It was, it was my first iPhone. I still have it. Wow. Got it like, yeah, I got it Christmas 2016. So 2017 was my first full year with it. Still have it. It is definitely, um, it's at that point in its battery health that, 
the alert will come up and be like, you need to be serviced, which really means that you just need a new phone. And it's been like that for like a year. And I meant to get a new phone last year, but then I didn't. Yeah, so yeah I get that. To do it. Yeah. So mainly like the chaos is, is my battery still working? How long, like, why did one YouTube video take up like 30% of my battery life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which yeah, which then ne- which then necessitates more chargers around the house. It then necessitates more portable yeah. chargers and more outlets being occupied. Uh, Megan, I want to note here that Apple didn't switch to USB-C out of the goodness of their hearts. It, no, was, in re- it was in response to the EU regulating chargers and saying there is going to be one form of charger moving forward and it's going to be USB-C. And if you want to sell your phones on our continent, this is what you have to do that said it is worth asking the question megan how would you feel about one universal type of charger USB-C for everything one charger to rule them all i was gonna say that um, oh sorry all chargers are equal just some chargers are more equal than others um i'm yeah I, you know what part of me is okay with it because i think it is I think it's rude of companies, how rude. Um, I think it's rude of companies to be like, you must buy this specific charger just for us. And then people who have multiple different devices from multiple different uh, companies, like then it just gets even more confusing. But I think it's gonna be a pretty steep learning curve of transitioning over to a world of just one charger. Yeah, I, I understand in the notion of some of your devices are outdated. Like for example, some of my older headphones use USB-A. That's fine to me, right? Like that's not yeah. deliberate. Yeah. Uh, them being uh, jerks about it. It's that it's old technology and I buy cheap technology. That's how I live my life. I'm cheap. That's 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 who I be. I'm very budget in certain choices that I make in my life. So I'm comfortable with the reality knowing that USB-A is a, is a wire that I'm going to have to have around my house, at least for a little while, as long as I keep buying cheap headphones. But Amanda Shikarchi, how do you feel about one type of charger to rule them all? USB-C and that's it. I'm kind of conflicted because yes, it's nice to have one charger, but also at the same time, like if there's a way to like charge multiple, like I guess I'd have to get more than one charger if I want to charge, you know, multiple devices at the same time. Like if I want to charge my phone and I want to charge my iPad. So I feel like, you know, right now I can charge many things because of all the separate chargers, you know, my computer, my iPad, my phone. But if every, if all, like, you know, if Apple's try, starting to switch everything over to USB-C, that's where it's like, okay, well, maybe I need to get like one or two, two chargers so that I can charge more things at once. I want to ask you guys a question of luxury. So many times that when we're talking about uh, technology or the news or the show, it's always framed as this level of negativity. And yesterday I was asking questions about luxury items, the way we treat ourselves that we sometimes still find to be a little bit expensive. Amanda, a couple of years ago, like this is very, very recent. I would say in 2020, I finally invested in longer charging cables. Like I just used to use the ones that were the one foot or three foot chargers that came in the case with the device. But then I went on to the giant online retailer that's named after a big river and I went and bought the six foot cord, the 10 foot cord, Amanda. This is a life that I don't think I could ever go back to the three foot cord. Mm. I love that because then you can literally just like you know take your phone and like while it's charging still be able to just like lie down and like read whatever um I think my best purchase was so I had a Mac like a computer for so long and 
finally like I've been using it from high school till basically my last second last year of university so it had like at least five years on it finally it's like you know what time to get a new one it's <laughs> yeah. the best thing I did because the battery has been lasting me so long um and I, I love it <laughs> M- Megan uh we know that you're not treating yourself when it comes to a new cell phone you've already admitted that running on seven <laughs> yeah. years but what is the treat yourself product in the world of your technological setup Sure. Um, I did the long cable cord for a while until it broke and, and now I'm back to regular size. But like, yes, I think it's really actually important to have different sizes of charging cables depending on where you are. Anyways, that's another thing. Um, I This isn't really a luxury. This is just like good common sense, especially for people like me who work from home. I think it was last year that I finally just went out and got an external keyboard, an external mouse that are related to each other and you just need like one little USB thing to stick in and it does both of them. You don't need to yes. Yeah, you don't need to take up two ports um to do this so yeah now um no i I hope my hands and fingers feel a lot better because now i have an actual proper keyboard and a proper mouse no i haven't yet invested in a proper laptop stand still using (laughs) board game boxes for that thank you settlers of Catan. but yeah so hopefully my next one will be a proper laptop stand and then maybe people this is this is just getting crazy talk now maybe an actual office chair Oh yeah. As opposed to the um the the uh dining room chair. Yeah, I've been using the same office chair for over a decade now at home and yeah. uh my tailbone mm-hmm. hurts every time I'm done using it. And uh, that's probably the implication. You should buy a new office chair, but again, mine isn't broken even though it hurts me. Why replace it? Megan, you are going to be wearing a whole mess of hats today on the show, not just as co-host. You're doing an accessibility report, a weather report, a round table. Lots of Megan Gilmore looking forward Lots to it. Am- Amanda, you're also going to be stopping by a little bit later for an entertainment report. In the meantime, I want you to vote on the poll describing your setup at home when it comes to charging your devices efficient, cluttered, or chaotic at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. On Facebook, feedback at ami.ca. Feedback at ami.ca is the email address. 1-866-509-4545 is the phone number. 1-866-509-4545. Don't you want your beautiful voice to be heard echoing across the airwaves of national television with your hot takes for everyone to enjoy? Pick up the phone and give the show a call. 1-866-509-4545. You know, lots of shows and hosts, they give their fans names. I like to use the word on air jabroni a lot to describe, you know, dum-dums. I wonder if maybe we should flip this around and co-opt the term and call fans of Now with Dave Brown jabronies. Coming up after the break, we'll find out what's coming your way. Could be Megan Gilmore, could be Don Dickinson. We're going to spin the wheel of roulette. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. 
The Manitoba provincial election is scheduled for October the 3rd. Disability Matters Vote is encouraging Manitobans with disabilities to vote and watch how political parties are responding to disability concerns. Megan Gilmore has spoken to one of the organization's representatives and can tell you more. Hey, good morning once again, Megan. Good morning, Dave. So, Megan, what is Disability Matters Votes? Sure. So Disability Matters Vote has been around for like several years right now. Uh, but for those who are still new to the organization, it's a joint campaign of several disability organizations across Manitoba. So Abilities Manitoba is involved, Barrier Free Manitoba, Manitoba League of Persons with Disabilities. And they all work together to encourage Manitobans with disabilities, first of all, just to vote. Uh, and to make sure that they are able to vote. But then they also promote disability issues throughout the election campaign and do their best to bring these concerns to the political parties and see how they're going to respond to different uh, priority areas that have been identified. So there's three prongs there. So let's start with yeah. what they have planned for the election campaign. Sure. So first, the organization sur surveyed Manitobans with disabilities to see what their main priorities are in terms of this provincial election. And we'll just discuss those priorities in a moment. And then after they surveyed Manitobans with disabilities, potential voters, the organization sent out questions to every candidate and to all the registered political parties in Manitoba, there's about seven registered political parties, I believe, uh, to see how disabilities impact the candidates' lives and to get their opinion on uh, different matters related to disability, including the human rights uh, cases related to disability, but also the priority issues that have been identified. And then today, this afternoon, 1 p.m. at Manitoba time, the organization is hosting the great debate with party leaders about disability issues in the province. So you mentioned that event coming up and we'll plug that again before we get out here. But what are the main priorities? Sure. So I spoke to Melissa Graham, who is a spokesperson with Disability Matters Vote, and she said that the organization surveyed individuals, like we said, to determine what their top five priorities are. And these priorities are accessible Manitoba, employment, skilled workforce, services and resources, and basic needs. And here's how Melissa explained each of those to me. Our five priorities for this year are an accessible Manitoba, which includes things like we have the accessible accessibility for Manitobans Act here and standards under that. Yeah. Employment, where we're referring to getting people with disabilities employed. As a skilled workforce, which also includes like making sure staffing is as well and well resourced and funded and and wages for staff all of that. Um, services and resources is where we're talking about like access to services. So we're talking about access equip to equipment here as well as as well as different services that people with disabilities need. Uh, and then basic needs, which is the issue that the Manitoba League of Persons with Disabilities took on and that covers um, social assistance and housing. And the basic needs also includes advocating that the Canada Disability Benefit will not result in clawbacks from provincial benefits when and if it finally comes to fruition. That's one you and I have talked about extensively. So how are the political parties responding to those issues and concerns? 
Sure. So I first spoke to Melissa um, at the beginning of this month, at the end of August, somewhere around there a few weeks ago. And at that time, Melissa says that many politicians were discussing the need for healthcare workers to have adequate wages. Um, and she said that the attention on wages makes disability matters vote work even more important. One of the things that I know from speaking to candidates is that we've had a lot of people around us talking about the wage issue because it's it's an important issue with the economy being what it is. But I, I think it's important too that those other issues are getting emphasized because um while workers have other voices to speak with them like for them like unions and that kind of thing. And it's good that we're adding to that. Um the importance of these priorities for me is that they come from community and we don't have people out there in government every day lobbying for our issues. And I think that's why it's so important that we have, have these things that we're asking politicians to work on and do better. So uh, to date, Disability Matters Vote has received responses from four of Manitoba's political parties to their questions. So the Progressive Conservatives, which is the current governing party, the NDP, who I believe is the official opposition, uh, the Liberals and the Greens have all responded to the organization's questions about disability issues in the, in the election. So Megan, that's prong number one, the actual political issues inside the province. The other yeah. prong you mentioned was voting itself, the accessibility of voting. What are some of the details about accessible voting accommodations for the Manitoba election? Sure. Um, so there's a number of um, different ways that uh, you can vote. Uh, you can vote uh, um if depending what your needs are. So you can vote from home if you're not able to leave uh, your house because of your disability. You can also vote from the curbside if a voting area is inaccessible. So that's also your hint that not all polling stations in Manitoba may be completely accessible. Uh, there's also braille templates available at all voting polls and magnifiers and large print lists of candidates and candidates are available at the voting office. Uh, if you need ASL interpreters, uh, you can request that, and Elections Manitoba will try to make sure that there are some available. And uh, so just like anything, ask early uh, to make sure that there's a better chance of you getting that. And what are some of the key dates over the course of the next couple of weeks before people head to the polls uh, for voting day on October the 3rd? Right. So as I've already said, today is a key date because there's the great debate that starts at 1 p.m. Central and will also be live streamed on the website. September 22nd, so just a little over a week from today, is the last day to apply for absentee voting. Um, and September 23rd to 30th is advanced voting election, advanced voting. There are like application forms to fill out for like homebound voting and things like that that are on elections manitoba's website there's no date that i could find about when you need to actually send those applications in by so uh just fill out the application earlier rather than later yeah earlier rather than later is a good policy in life although as a procrastinator i don't always practice what i preach megan you and I are both fond of democracy. I think you and yes. I both fundamentally understand why voting is important. But what does the organization have to say about why people should cast a ballot? Sure. So I asked Melissa Graham uh, that question, and here's what she had to say. I'll say two things to that. I'll say if you want to feel heard, 
um, you need to be part of the political process. And I think that's a big piece of what Display Matter goes to it provides a way for people with displays to get involved in that process. Um, and if you want to know what candidates think to know whether you should vote for them, you should go to things like the debate and the different events that we're having, or you should call up your candidate or and ask those questions or ask the question when they come to your door. Um, and you should vote based on the issues that you care about and who you think is best going to speak for you. Yeah, so I'll just echo those thoughts. Um, Dave, as you alluded to, you and I have spent many, many moments of our lives discussing the Canada Disability Benefit and all political things involved with that. And political involvement is a two-way street. Uh, so I don't think we can expect really fairly, honestly, your political leaders or uh, political candidates to really take your concerns seriously if you're not taking an effort to vote and be involved in the democratic process. It works both ways. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, and we can go on and on about how some things aren't accessible or they don't seem to care about me or whatever. But at the end of the day, you have to, you have to show some good faith in this process and show that you are at least willing to try to be involved. I would also like to say you do have the right not to vote in this country. Certainly. And if and if you are, and if you do not think that any of the available candidates represent your needs or you don't agree with any of their visions, it's actually best to still show up and vote and then you can go there's a different way you can do it. You can go and actually officially register that I am not voting for anybody because I don't have faith in anyone and you will still get counted as a vote, which is different than spoiling your ballot, which just means that your ballot doesn't get counted anyways. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, it, it that is a strong position as well to say that I took the time to show up here today and I'm not even going to have yep. a, a vote for someone. Megan, I, I agree that that if that Advocacy is important, and certainly fundamentally, you want politicians to be talking about accessibility and disability issues organically without being forced to do so. But it's just naive to think they will unless you yeah. form a voter's block, right? That yeah. you need to form groups that are going to say, you will be rewarded for offering me good policy. And sometimes that means you have to reward a government if you like what they're doing. And sometimes you need to punish a government to hold them accountable. You can't just think of politics as a team sport. Oh, I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan, therefore I bleed these colors until I die. You need mm -hmm. to actually grapple with the policies. So you're right, two-way street. Politicians need to tell you authentically what those policies are, not simply, I care about people with disabilities. No, but right. what, what are you gonna do? And that's where I think an organization like Disability Votes Matter is like totally clear about that. We want to find out what you think and we are also going to represent a block of people that want to hear what you think that will reward you potentially with votes if you do a good job. I don't know if they end up endorsing candidates at the end of the day, but I also think that perhaps organizations, I'm not saying this group in particular, I'm saying organizations in general that represent people with disabilities might want to start getting in the habit of actually endorsing political parties. I know that's super controversial, but I do think there'd probably be something to be said, hey, we could potentially offer you a voting block if you listen to our concerns.
Yeah, that, that is one strategy. And one of the things that I find interesting about this organization in Manitoba is that it is an initiative, a joint initiative of several different disability organizations, each who on their own individually have their own priorities that they focus on. But when it comes in terms of this larger gathering for an election, right, they come together and they find what are the common things that we all agree on, that we all want, and what are some areas of specific expertise yep. that some of our organizations have that we can help lead the information gathering or the discussion around a specific area. For example, the accessibility is when Manitobans act or whatever, something like that. So there is a recognition that people have specific needs and things that they want, but also recognition that there are some general things. And I do think as someone who has a disability and has worked for disability organizations and now covers it, one of the things that can hold the disability movement, if you want to use that phrase, back from political advocacy is we still splinter off a lot based on our yes. individual yes. needs. And like, I understand that I'm legally blind and most people acquire vision loss later in life. I acquired mine at birth. That's not a very common, statistically speaking, that's not a very common thing. There's not a lot of people like me medically speaking that way. Like, so it wouldn't make political sense for me to be like, hey, I'm going to create a whole platform based off of the specific needs of people who were born with vision loss and expect that that's enough to carry the day and get a whole sea of change. Like, You have to work together. You have to find something you can have in common. I'm not saying everyone needs to be the same, but I'm saying there needs to be some unity around important things. And we'll see how that works provincially. We're really going to see how that works federally with the House coming back in a few days and with discussions yeah. about the Canada Disability Benefit really ramping up. Megan, thank you for this. Talk to you again in about 10 minutes. <laughs> All right. That's Megan Gilmore with an accessibility report coming up after the break. Vaccine equity continues to be a concern across the globe. Don Dickinson explores the matter in her preview of Voices of the Walrus. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Science and technology are evolving to better understand cancer and cancer treatments. There is still no cure despite lots of research. That's the crux of an article in this week's Voices of the Walrus on AMI-audio. Don Dickinson is the content curator of that show. Hey, good morning, Don. Good morning, Dave. It's quite the article, Dave. I... It's very, very long, but it's very worthwhile. This is the thing about the walrus and Voices of the Walrus. The articles are long, but they are well worth it. As someone who appreciates a long read and appreciates some in-depth journalism, the walrus might be second to none in the whole country. But it's also credit to you, Don. You're a great content curator. So now that I've buttered you up, now that I've adequately buttered you up, <laughs> the first article has such a provocative title. Are We Losing the War on Cancer by Rene Pellerin? Don, an understanding of the current landscape on cancer research, what kind of money is being devoted to the research? Well, actually, it's not for lack of money, Dave, because the money devoted to cancer research is absolutely staggering. The value of the NCI, that's the National Cancer Institute's annual research grants, is now up to 
63 million, uh, oh, sorry, was in 1972, 63.7 million and approaching 3 billion in 2020. <laughs> Members of the International Cancer Research Partnership, which is an alliance of more than 140 research organizations in Canada and Europe and Japan and Australia, account for 8.5 billion in U.S. for research in 2018. So it's, it's, we're throwing a lot, a lot of money at this problem. Yeah, for, for, for good reason, because certainly it's a disease that impacts a lot of people. How many Canadians are being affected by cancer? Well, this actually blew me away because the article states that cancer remains the leading cause of death. About one in two Canadians will be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetimes. One in four will die of it. The total is more than 80,000 plus per year. The proportion of the population dying from cancer has actually grown in comparison to other causes of death in recent years. So it's um, it's it's out there and it's... Uh, Definitely a huge concern for a lot of people. How has the medical profession's approach when it comes to cancer changed over the years? Okay, this was extremely interesting to me. Basically, the premise behind the war on cancer was totally wrong because cancer is not this single event. We know that now that there are hundreds of distinct cancers. Uh, you know, oncologists in the 1980s would have known basically that, that there were two types of lung cancer. Today, they now know that looking at the molecular biology of tumors, scientists can determine that there are at least 80 different subtypes of lung cancer. Um, so these are all, um, you know, uh, subtypes of, of all the other cancers as well. So there's subtypes of breast cancer. And so what, they're, what they know now is that it's not just this one thing, and that's what they've gotten good at. They've gotten good at breaking down at the very molecular level what it is that you may have mm. and, and targeting that very specific cancer. That Yeah, Don, I think that, that's really important to know the evolution has been there, right? It's, it's easy to say, oh, they're throwing more money at it. What's the progress? We're still getting cancer. The treatments have evolved. I mean, uh, not to reveal too much here. I had a couple of tumors removed a couple of years ago, and the procedure was simple. It took like less than 10 minutes, Don. Now, the run-up to get uh, access to that procedure uh, was a whole rigmarole, but I was blown away by how efficient the biopsy, the removal, the procedure. I couldn't believe how efficient it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going through this this week myself, Dave. You know, my cousin uh, got a diagnosis virtually last week of brain cancer and had surgery at St. Mike's last Tuesday. I mean, we are we are just moving along at a rapid pace. So the article is definitely trying to say two different distinct things, that it's not so much that we're not gaining, we are gaining, because as you say, the, 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 how we're looking at cancer and how we're looking at it at a very molecular level and how we're treating it is very, very much improved. Um, you know, but at the same time, uh, you know, the statistics don't yeah, seem to be improving yeah. that greatly, you know? The, the people, right? Like the research is making a lot of progress, but it's still affecting people in such a tremendous way. Don, let's switch gears here, but stay in the medical field. Your next article is titled The Vaccine Problem by Sharon Nadim. It considers the importance of vaccine equity for countries during future pandemics. Don, what is the inequality when it comes to the worldwide vaccine system? How much are countries struggling with access? 
Well, it's not great news, Dave. I mean, basically, pharmaceutical companies, including the really big ones, you know, the Pfizer's and the Moderna's and everything, they sold they they sold the majority of their vaccines to rich countries. This is early on in the in the pandemic, right? So the consequences were basically devastating. Uh, you know, if you were in in this country, you didn't feel it as much. But according to a March 2022 Oxfam report, uh, for every life lost due to COVID-19 in a rich country, another four people died in a poor. Nation. Wow. Wow. That, 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 again, jarring, jarring numbers, Don. How can the situation be improved? I, like, I, I know the word resolved gets tossed around here. I don't think in life anything ever gets resolved. But how can the vaccine equity situation internationally be improved? Well, for countries to have vaccines for their populations without relying on these massive donations from other countries for, you know, if they have access or anything like that, basically we have to develop and manufacture our own, right? I mean, that was a strong point here. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, if there's to be hope of really weathering these future pandemics, which inevitably there will be, um, the way countries produce and procure vaccines needs to change radically. Don, let, let, let's wrap up on this thought. You mentioned the situation in Canada. There have been investments in biotech in the last couple of years as a direct response to vaccine shortages. Where does Canada stand in its manufacturing capacity? Well, Canada has limited vaccine-making capa- uh, capabilities, right, despite having basically a very strong biotechnical research community. Uh, we've got a legacy of research and scientific expertise dating back way back. Um, you know, we were actually at one point at the forefront of this kind of things. We had a, gr- a great uh, company by the name of Connaught Laboratories, but Connaught was sold in uh, uh, 1972, there's a Canadian Development Corporation, a Crown Corporation uh, designed to, to promote Canadian business, and then was completely privatized a few, le- le- few le- years later uh, under Prime Minister Brian Mulroney's government. So it, it, we, we did have the capacity. We were making a lot of things, vaccines for diphtheria and tetanus and all that kind of stuff way back in the Second World War. We did a, we did a wonderful job in, in, in Canada for, in polio vaccines in the 1950s. Um, but as I say, we, we let it slide, you know. Mm. The government let it slide. So what we really have to do is just kind of pull up our socks and get back to the point where we were many years ago. We have to be able to... To, to change the situation and produce these vaccines uh, in yeah. the country. Yeah. Don, thank you for this. Thank you for taking a little bit of time away from your family today. We're so grateful. Okay, you're very welcome, Dave. Talk to you next week. That's Don Dickinson, content curator for Voices of the Walrus. You can find that show 11 a.m. Eastern Time daily on AMI-audio. Coming up after, coming up in 60 seconds, Megan Gilmore has the weather story of the day. But first, here is Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes. Canada's main stock index posted a small gain in Wednesday trading. Toronto's TSX index added 55 points yesterday to close at 20,278. New York's Dow Jones average dropped 70 points and the Nasdaq gained 39. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index surged 461 points. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 73.86 cents U.S. Equifax Canada says credit card balances hit an all-time high of $107 billion in the 
this year's second quarter. Analysts consider it a sign that financial stress continued to build in the face of inflation and rising interest rates. And it's coming down to the wire for the big three automakers in the U.S. The strike deadline set by the United Auto Workers Union comes late tonight. And President Sean Fain says if tentative contract settlements aren't reached by late tonight, the union is preparing to strike a small number of factories per company. The first time ever the union would strike all three companies at the same time. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebeau. Thank you very much, Karen. From money in your pocket to the weather in the skies, let's bring in Megan Gilmore for the weather reports. <laughs> Megan, you're, you're tracking two different stories today. Yeah, yeah, I am. Sorry. Um, so we got a good news, bad news situation in terms of water. We'll start with uh, the bad news, and it's Hurricane Lee, obviously. Environment Canada has issued tropical cyclone information statements for much of New Brunswick, PEI, Nova Scotia, and Western Quebec. There's also a tropical storm watch in Nova Scotia. So there's two alerts there. And Environment Canada says that the center of Lee could make landfall anywhere between down east Maine to Western Nova Scotia late Saturday night or early Sunday. So uh, by that time, Lee is expected to be a tropical storm or a post-tropical storm, but you can still expect very, very strong winds and a lot of rain if you live in that part of the country. So that is the storm to watch. But we also have some good news mm-hmm. in terms of, I know, this is this is very rare. Um, so you may remember back in 2013, Calgary got hit with these crazy floods and everyone was freaking out. Well, the city has just installed a flood barrier in its downtown that uh, the Weather Network is reporting that it is capable of holding back the waters in a one in 200 year flooding event. So good news in Calgary. Hope you stay dry. Good luck to everybody out in Atlanta, Canada. Prevention and mitigation, always a good idea from a uh, city design standpoint. Megan, thank you for this. Talk to you in a couple minutes, but coming up next, what's your level of concern or joy when it comes to encountering an urban critter? Think something like a raccoon or a skunk or a rat. Kenny Bovard will ponder this question. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Nova Scotians are having coyote problems. Coyotes have been approaching people on the Cabot Trail. One coyote bit a cyclist last weekend. On a much smaller scale, I had a run-in with the neighborhood skunk on my way to work in the last few weeks. Not to mention my backyard raccoon continues to brush himself up against me when I'm hanging out on my back patio. The urban critters are everywhere. Their trouble... They're also kind of cute. Jenny Bovard has urban animals on the brain, too. Jenny is the host of the Low Vision Moments podcast. Hey, good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Dave. Jenny, starting with a legally blind perspective on this, what's your level of concern or joy when it comes to encountering urban critters? 
Well, I like to say that other than what I consider to be a healthy fear of the ocean and everything in it, I live my life with very little fear, including fear of those city critters, some that you mentioned as well, raccoons, I don't know, about them brushing up against me. But like maybe it's because I've lived in city settings my whole life, or maybe it's because those critters are easier to ignore much of the time with low vision. But I've started paying attention to what the sighted people are saying. And apparently we are sharing our cities with plenty of other living things some of them are dangerous like you mentioned the coyotes some are cute and some have more of that ick factor than others yeah to me the skunk one is a concern because if i don't see that thing coming and it gives me its stink tail we've got problems especially if i'm on my way to work all of a sudden someone's got to douse me with tomato juice and skunk off it's it's <laughs> it's gonna be a problem jenny you know that I love doing power rankings. I made a habit of it on social media during the pandemic to pass the time. What do you say we power rank urban critters? How does that sound? Let's do it. Okay, let's go one by one. Jenny, number five. Okay, so number five, I've got to give it to those urban coyotes. They are very much a thing across Canadian cities, not just in Nova Scotia, in suburbs as well. You've got Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, all reporting lots of sightings of coyotes. And I hadn't planned on talking about this, but is it coyote or coyote? If I say coyote, please forgive me because there's some debate there. Uh, but survival Je rates... Je Jenny, let me, let me stop you for one second. When I worked for the CBC... The corporate policy was we would say coyote. And I got oh. yelled at once for saying coyote on the air from one of my senior colleagues. Dave, at the national broadcaster, we say coyote, not okay. coyote. Well, maybe I'll continue with coyote. We'll see what comes out. <laughs> but survival rates for these animals are actually better in the cities than in the wild. They're essentially medium-sized wild canines with long legs and grayish fur. And I found out that we have coyotes in Halifax when I had an encounter without even knowing that I had an encounter. I thought I was running alongside some peaceful deer in my local cemetery, uh, but the groundskeepers were prompt to warn me that it was actually more likely coyotes that I was running along with. Oh, dear. Um, and I'm nowhere close to a wooded area like that poor cyclist that was bitten in the Cape Breton area. But I know what to do now if there's a dangerous encounter. You want to be loud and obnoxious and big. You want to put your arms out and clap your hands. Be, like I said, obnoxious. Act like maybe that coyote got your coffee order wrong this morning. <laughs> That's a good policy. I like that one. Uh, Jenny, let's go to number four. The pigeon. So if you live in a city, chances are you or someone you know has been pooped on by a pigeon. I'm just speaking from experience. I'm just saying that's a pretty good pigeon. Yeah, I try. Oh, now, that's an even better pigeon. Thank you. I'll continue to make sound effects as we go. Now, these birds, their bad attitude is really, in my opinion, second only to that urban seagull that we all deal with. And pigeons poop on everything. They love to ruin your day. Technically, they're called a rock dove, though, Dave. So someone ought to take a note on that excellent band name, Rock Dove. <laughs> the common rock pigeon is the gray pigeon. They've got two black bars on each wing, and they've got a really pretty tinge of green and purple on their neck. Now, I had no idea, but they actually have orange eyes for the most part. Now, they're not just poop machines that collect 
the trash that people litter uh, when they litter food, but they also mate for life, which is very interesting. And they have exceptional navigational abilities. They even use human-made roadways to get around. So maybe give the pigeon a little bit of respect. Oh, look at the big brain on the pigeon. I like that one. Okay, Jenny, I got a spoiler alert on this one, and I'm delighted to know you'll be talking about them. Number three. Uh, yes, the squirrel. Oh, I so love Canada. squirrels. Canada's got a lot of squirrels, Dave. And there are far too many for me to name. I think the one that we're most familiar with in the big cities are the it's the gray squirrel. They are all over the parks, all over our cities. And I've honestly never had a really good look at a squirrel in person. They're so small and fast, but I know that they are out there. They are spreading invasive oak trees all over our backyards. They are using adorable chirps to communicate. Let me try this one. I don't know how that was. <laughs> didn't quite didn't quite come across the audio like you would have hoped. No. All right. I don't want to hurt your ears, but they have these adorable chirps. And my husband is always really keen to describe their shenanigans to me. And doing some research, I learned that squirrels actually engage in play. Videos on the internet prove that they play fight, they roughhouse, and they even play hide and seek, Dave. I love squirrels. When I used to work for the city of Westmount in Montreal, I used to spend most of my day hanging out in a park on a bench, and the squirrels used to come hang out with me, and we'd spend the day together. And then when I lived in Ottawa, I had a big backyard, had a whole family of squirrels lived in the backyard that uh, we had a bit of a non-aggression pact with, except on compost day, they got a little riled up on compost day. So that's where the non-aggression pact kind of got torn up a little bit. Jenny, number two. Number two is the trash panda, a.k.a. the city raccoon. Much like the squirrels that you were speaking of, these guys are brazen, and these are really messy creatures. When I lived in Toronto, there was very little space in between the houses where I lived, and not only did they love to rummage through the dumpster with their little black masks and their little black gloves, but they would poke their heads right up into my room window. No fear whatsoever. I'd be sitting at my desk and two glowing little eyeballs pop up right in front of me. They're just looking for food. They know we've got the food. Now, I didn't know until recently that they're really good swimmers. I've even caught oh. them. Yeah, they'll break into my backyard pond at night and splash around and go for a swim. And then they'll dig up 10,000 little holes in my backyard to find some worms and bugs. So messy little guys. Yeah, they're a nuisance. There's no doubt about it, especially if you have to keep an outdoor trash can or, uh, or recycling compost, et cetera. But Jenny, they're so cute. And I will tell you now from experience of my backyard raccoon, Rocky, rubbing against me, very soft fur. Very soft Ooh, fur. I don't know about that. I, I, I'm trying to discourage him from rubbing up against me. I always yell at him for doing it. But after he's further away, because I don't want to get his little rabies claws on me. I don't want to break your heart, Dave. But I learned also that they sadly only live one to three years usually. So spend your oh, time with Rocky oh, wisely. Well, me and Rocky will have to make sure we uh, get lots of scratches on my legs when given the opportunity. Okay, Jenny, number one. The rat is Ugh. only number one, Dave because nobody wants to mess with rats, except those of you who keep rats as pets. Hey, you do you. But my dog and cat, dogs and cats in general, they will take care of and present mice with pride, but not rats. They even say no to rats, the cats and dogs. So Halifax, my current city, 
is home to a breed of rat called the Norway rat. They're an invasive species, likely brought to Nova Scotia aboard European ships. Ships, boats, that's how rats have taken over the cities of the world. Now, the interesting thing about the Norway rat is they're also a really good swimmer, like the raccoon. These rats, I'm getting the heebie-jeebies like just thinking about it. Mm. They can swim up to 24 meters, the length of 24 meters underwater in one breath. So if their bald tails, again, weren't enough to give you the heebie-jeebies, they're also swimming in our lovely coastal waters. Oh, my goodness, Jenny. Oh, my goodness. Had to go with the rats. Of course, our friends in Alberta would tell us the key is to have a policy where you have no rats in the whole province. They just they, have, they actually have patrols that keep rats out of the province. So uh, I don't know if they're That's number... That's a great idea. I don't know if they're number one in Alberta, but they're definitely top of mind for Albertans. Jenny, got to be quick on this one. Regional local urban critters. I had some time on the West Coast a couple of years ago on Vancouver Island in Souk. There were otters and seals and bears and deers on the property. How cool is it to think that some of these urban critters or regional critters can come so close to you when you're in a luxury hot tub at night? I think that that's pretty cool. And here on the East Coast, we have harbor seals and mink that are related to the otter. They they all apparently are frequently swimming in our harbor, and, and the sighted people tell me they can see them all the time. Um, so I think that that's really cool. But at the same time, I, 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 there's an ick factor in some of these cases. Like, I want to give a couple of honorable mentions to silverfish. It's very humid on the East Coast. <laughs> get a lot of silverfish around here, uh, which is an insect. And those seagulls, I have to say, it's yeah. like the most annoying alarm clock besides blue jays. Just got to <laughs> hand it to the seagulls. Oh, gosh. Hey, Jenny, thank you for this. Have a great day. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> You too. Thanks, Dave. That's Jenny Bovard, host of the Low Vision Moments podcast from an entertaining segment to the entertainment report with Amanda Shikarchi. Amanda, people are having fun at their frosh weeks and rock bands want to get in on the action. Thank you, Dave. Yes. So the Arkells performed at Queen's University's Frosh Week last Friday, September 8th. They engaged the crowd by performing a cover of Taylor Swift's Blank Space, but they also performed original music like 1111, Leather Jacket, and You Can Get It. So Dave, I was wondering, what are advantages of artists performing at universities rather than stadium tours? I wonder if it's an element of energy, right? That people on a frost week are bound to be having a good time and a fun time. And it just feels a little bit different. And from the band perspective, it might be an opportunity to put new ears on your product, new eyes and ears on your product. What do you think? I agree. It's definitely bringing in a new, um, new, new audience, a new demographic, because I was doing some research for this, and in the article where went the journalists at Queens reflected on this, they were saying that, you know, these students typically don't usually listen to the Arkells, and at first it took a minute for the Arkells to engage the crowd, but then once they did, they really brought the energy up, and the students were very much into it. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. The Arkells are a band who I would have said are maybe past their point of being a college band. Uh, I saw them in the summer of 2012, and they were pretty they were pretty like hip and popular by then, uh, maybe even sort of past their key point of popularity. But, Amanda, they are a popular band. They do make good music. A couple of those shows really rocked. What do they have on deck here coming up into the fall of the Arkells? 
Yeah, so they have a new album called Laundry Pile, which will be out on September 21st. And they also have a, a new tour, and there's going to be a couple dates in Ontario, which start in November. So that's all really exciting. Right on. Amanda, thank you for this. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Thank you so much. That's Amanda Shikarchi with your entertainment report. Coming up after the break, I've got the regional news updates and Brock Richardson. Stop by for a sports chat. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.